Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Hey, uh, I just want to share a, a quick message about the goodness of God in our lives and and what Christmas is in a lot of ways really all about. Well, the great theologian N.T. Wright, one of my personal favorites, he tells a story about a sermon he preached once at Christmas where a well-known historian attended, and he was well-known as being a skeptic of Christianity. And he came up to N.T. Wright afterwards, all smiles. And he said, I finally worked out why people like Christmas. He said, it's, it's because it's about the baby, and a baby doesn't threaten anyone. So the whole thing is a happy event that means nothing at all. And he seemed really confident about this, that it doesn't mean anything at all. Yet in this reading that Taryn read from Matthew chapter 2, we actually hear the exact opposite. That a little baby was in fact so threatening to the man in charge that he murdered a village full of children to try to get rid of him. In the book of Proverbs 14.12, we read this. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. On this holy night, as we sing carols and we reflect on the coming of Jesus to us at Christmas on earth, the incarnation, I want us to consider the way of life and the way of death, just for some light Sunday afternoon teaching. So in the book of Matthew, we hear these two competing stories of kings. Right? I want you to catch this. Tonight's reading was an excerpt from the part commonly known as the Massacre of the Innocents. Again, just some lovely light Sunday evening stuff. You know, you'll have a lovely chat about this on the way home, I'm sure. And the Massacre of the Innocents was the event in history where King Herod killed the young, the, basically the male toddlers and babies of Bethlehem in an attempt to murder Jesus, the promised king that the wise men had told him about. Now, Herod was an interesting character, as you might imagine, from an event like this. He married into Jewish royalty, and so he successfully became somebody who attracted the attention of the Romans. And he was put in charge of Judea, this region, and was eventually named king of that region, kind of underneath the Romans, sort of a sub-king. And so he was, he was the king for about 33 years, and he's known as Herod the Great because he did a lot of great things on the outside. He, he restored the temple, the pride of the nation of Israel. And he built fortresses, and he built cities, and he built a beautiful palace. And from the outside, if you squint a bit, he kind of looks like a really great king. But if you look a little bit clearer and a little bit closer, it gets a bit murkier. Obviously, we've heard about the massacre of the innocents, but his rule was actually noted by paranoia and murder again and again and again. These were hallmarks of the rule of King Herod. He used slave labor to build his enormous palace. He famously executed several members of his own family, including his wife. And when he died around 4 BC, just after the birth of Jesus, somewhat ironically, he left instructions that at his funeral, they should murder many of the high-ranking officials of Judea so that there would be an appropriate level of mourning at his royal funeral. This is just written down in the biography by Josephus. So you can look it up. So, Herod, interesting guy. He's clearly a ruler who's deeply invested in his own sense of power and would do whatever it took to keep that power. That's one kingly narrative. And then on the other side, we have this other kingly narrative where a baby is born in a manger. 
in the relative obscurity of Bethlehem, eight kilometers south of Jerusalem. A baby is born in infamy, but somehow also in power. But this baby does not get born into royalty, even though he has royal blood in him. This king has no political influence, although, you know, I give pretty good connections. He is born into the obscurity of that manger and he's raised in a backwater in Nazareth, far from the power centers of Jerusalem and Rome. This is the story of King Jesus. He is a baby born into a Jewish family just like any other, but also not like any other at all. He is a boy who was destined to be king and yet was born under the rule of another king. And friends, despite what that famous historian told N.T. Wright, that a baby couldn't possibly be threatening. You are all sitting here and I'm standing here and our nation was largely founded upon the work of that baby. Jesus is the most important human being by any measure to ever live. But I would argue that's the lowest bar. See, Christmas, friends, is not just about a baby. Even if that baby grew up to overturn injustices, transform cultures, and revolutionize humanity. Now, Christmas is not just about a baby. It's not about shepherds or presents or virgin births or angelic appearances or God help us visits from the in-laws. My in-laws are here. They're actually really lovely. Liz, Jeff, it's just good for a laugh. Sorry, it was just easy. It was just an easy one. Christmas is about a lot more than that. It is about civil war. It's about a clash of kings. It is about one king who rules by violence and tyranny and another who rules by love and hope. Christmas is not just about a baby. Christmas is a war to choose your king. And one of the questions that we all ask during our lives, but we never use these words, is this, which king will I follow? You and I, we all ask this during our lives. We just don't realize it. Here's how the author David Foster Wallace framed it. He said, everybody worships. The difference is we get to choose what we worship or who we worship. But everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. So friends, every one of us, we're involved in a conflict between God's kingdom and the kingdom of a false king. I hate to alarm you. There is a false king in your midst. It's a battleground for our affections. And today we do not have to deal, thankfully, with a tyrant like Herod. We are very fortunate living in Australia. We don't have to worry about our federal government, our local government, our civic government. We are not worried about that sort of tyranny. We're not even worried about the tyranny of the queen. Frankly, she just makes for a great Netflix series nowadays. (laughs) We have a far more concerning tyranny. The dictator we're worried about is our own heart. Our own heart is the king threatening to drive out the affections of Jesus from us. And take control. Now, this might sound okay, but our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are disloyal. Our hearts, as the prophet Jeremiah tells us, are deceitful above all things. And you might think that's a bit harsh, but if you've ever entered into any kind of toxic relationship, if you've ever found yourself addicted to something you wish you could break free of, but you were trapped in, you realize that just because you want something doesn't mean it's good for you. The desires of the heart are deceitful for us, friends. They lead us all over the place. And we want to be the emperors of our own lives. That's what it comes down to. We want to have total control. And you might disagree with me. You're very welcome to. But ask yourself this. If you don't want total control, 
how do you go when you come up against an opposing viewpoint? When you offer an opinion and someone disagrees with you, how do you go? That's a good test of your control. Now, your control, maybe you're doing better than I do with my control. Maybe you get less offended. Maybe you find the internet less of a fraught place to hang out socially. But I tend to find that my heart constantly wants things it shouldn't. And I tend to find that I'm constantly battling with myself for control and to lay it down before Jesus. But as Proverbs said, this is a way that leads to death. When our preferences and opinions control what we worship, we worship ourselves. That's the bottom line. We end up worshipping ourselves. Welcome to the narcissism of the 21st century. So what do we do about that? Because... I'm suggesting that your best way forward is to take your self-control and the things that you want to hold on to tightly and give them to Jesus. And you might be saying, well, so what? What's so bad about that? What's so bad about having control? I feel like I need control. This year of all years, I feel like I've lost control. I'd offer you this. How's that been going for you? By all means, keep control of your life. But ask yourself, if that's the king you've been following, how's that been going for you so far? When your job has been interrupted, how have you managed? In a time of uncertainty about our mental health, how have you managed? When your relationships have come under pressure, how have you managed with you as king of your own life? Don't take my word for it. Just check your own experiences. How's control gone for you in 2020? You don't need to answer it, do you? Because it's gone the same for all of us. Totally out the window. So there's this point we get to in our lives where we reach the end of ourselves. And I think sometimes when we describe that or we hear someone's story, we go, I hit rock bottom. I don't think rock bottom's so bad. If we recognize when we get there that the only thing that can get us out is Jesus. See, maybe you're there tonight. Maybe 2020 has left you shell-shocked. And if so, I can understand I think it's left a lot of us shell-shocked at one point or another. It's been a wild year, but it's also shown us that the king we choose matters deeply. We can't trust our hearts, which betray us with misplaced affections and addictions. We can't trust our jobs, our relationships, even our friends and families. These are good things, but you can't ask them to replace Jesus in your life. There will come a point where they let you down because they're temporary. They're temporary. We will let each other down. People cannot do for you what only God can do for you. So when we reach the end of ourselves, we find Jesus and we find new life. So friends, this is what I want to suggest. Jesus is the way to follow in your life and mine. The way, not a way, the way. I know how unpopular that might sound. But the birth of Jesus at Christmas represents a new life for you and me. Not just in heaven once we die, although that is part of it. The birth of Jesus represents new life for you and for me now, right now, today. As we're trying to make kings and queens out of our own lives, as we're trying to be the emperors, as we're trying to keep control, we try and rule over our lives in place of Jesus and we make a mess of it. And as we rebel against the God who created us, we then get mad when things go wrong. How many of you have decided to live your life your own way, then got mad at somebody else when it went wrong? All of us is the answer. We're always susceptible to that. And when things go wrong in our lives, we can feel like innocent women and men who have been really badly wronged. We might say something to ourselves like, I don't deserve this. But we're not innocent. 
We're guilty. We're guilty of sin and rebellion in our lives. The technical term for it is treason. We're rebelling against the real king and trying to set ourselves up as king in his place. So make no mistake, we are guilty, but I've got to tell you, there is good news. When we come to Jesus, there is good news. We are guilty. We're guilty of sin and rebellion in our lives. We're guilty of treason. But when we turn to serve the true king, this is what we find. Where Herod, the fake king, created a massacre of the innocents, Jesus came to be the savior of the guilty. See, where Herod came to kill the vulnerable, to consolidate power, Jesus gave up his power to become vulnerable on our behalf. Where Herod ruled through violence, Jesus took the world's violence upon himself. The reason you can trust him as your Lord and Savior is, number one, he's already done it. And number two, he's gone down a path no one else could possibly endure. He took the world's pain and suffering upon himself, and he did that for you. So where the kings and queens of our lives rule in violence, we rule in violence. We get angry. We become tyrants. We get furious when anyone encroaches on our little domains. And back in the day, we used to go to war, and now we just go on Twitter. (laughs) Herod was the king that you'd follow if you valued life, but Jesus, friends, is the king you need to follow if you actually want life. So as I finish up, back to N.T. Wright's question, why do people like Christmas? It's not because of the baby. Babies are nice. People like Christmas because it is the way that leads to life. Life for you. Life for me. Life in abundance. It is actually a vision of a future kingdom where God is with his people. There is no more tears, no more sorrow. It's a kingdom marked by love and grace and hope. But it's also a vision of a present kingdom. And hear this, because I know a lot of this language might be unfamiliar. Technically a reconstitutional monarchy, but you know, Wink, wink. This kingdom that God wants us to see, to catch, to step into, is actually one that he wants us to be a part of. This is not just something that happens when you die. This is a vision for you to step in and partner with. This is a vision where God is saying, I value you so deeply that I see a part for you in what I want to do here on earth. And that, friends, is marked by breaking chains of injustice. It's marked by grace. It's marked by sacrificial love. It's marked by equality. It's marked by lifting one another up. It's marked by being warriors for the oppressed. It's marked by radical generosity and kindness and sacrificial love for one another, regardless of who our neighbor is or how we feel. The kingdom of God breaks in when people give their lives to King Jesus and say, I don't have anything else but the vision you've got for my king, your kingdom, Lord. That's what I want. That's what I want. There is a way that leads to death, the way of Herod, the way of all tyrants, the way of our own heart, but there is also a way that leads to life. That's the way of Jesus, and it is for you. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.